Amen. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcomed here. Amen. I, uh, I love that song. If you would please take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 21. John 21, and we're going to be highlighting verses 1 through 14. The capture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is over. The burial or the brutal treatment of him at the hands of the Roman soldiers is over. The trial that found him guilty is over. The torturing and twisting of his body is over. The cruel testing or fasting of his body to an old rugged cross is over. The bleeding wounds from his head, from his hand, and from his feet. And pierced side is over. The retrieval of his body from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus is over. The burial of his body in a freshly dug grave. Church, it is over. The search for his body by the woman who visits the tomb is over. All that Jesus had gone through is over. His earthly body has been resurrected. His mission to redeem man has been completed. Easter has been instituted and the very foundation of the New Testament church has been secured. The question now is, what is next? It is the gospel writer, John, that provides for us the most complete and comprehensive picture of the next sequence of events. A week later, and there is still a story to tell. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke... All report of on what we now call the post-resurrection events of the Master. It is John that is the most specific and the most detailed in his account of how Jesus continued his earthly ministry for a season after the cross. So let's go ahead and read John 21, verses 1 through 14. Later, Jesus appeared again unto the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. I thought it was perfect to preach this message since my twin and I had our birthdays this week. Many of you are probably going, Pastor, what are you reading out of? Today, I want you to all know that I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I know, sit down, buckle up. Your pastor is now reading out of the NLT today. And I just think this is uh, just a, a great storyline for what took place. And hopefully I can, I can make it relevant for all of us today as, as we dig into the word. Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called, hey, fellas, 
Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. See, Brother Mike, you know, if you saw the picture on Facebook, he's fishing this weekend, I take it. And uh, by all the pictures that I see, one was that he fell in the water this morning. That's great. And, uh, but he caught a lot of fish, so he threw out his line and he went a-fishing. We can never see soul saved and lives changed if we don't go fishing. We need to get out there, spread the gospel, tell people about Jesus Christ. You have a story to tell. Jesus Christ, as we've been going, as we started last week about, this is my story, this is my song. We notice in scriptures, Jesus just didn't rise up from the grave. He had a story to tell so that others would tell the story of his amazing grace. Verse 7, then the disciples Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Then you're just like, a charcoal fire. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> All in the word. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went abroad and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast. Jesus said none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. The third time Jesus shows up to his disciples since... He was raised from the dead. According to John, Jesus brings together a family reunion of his disciples just one week after his resurrection. On the one hand, the summons to return to the same upper room where he last broke bread with them was redundant and repetitive since John tells us that he had seen nearly all of his disciples during the course of of the previous week. But I imagine that Jesus was not prepared to return to the right hand side of his father until all of the disciples that he had spent time with him and invested had been securely bonded to the reality of his resurrection. John tells us that what makes this meeting of the disciples different from the previous encounters of the week is that Thomas, also called Didymus, or in the scriptures, the twin who had not been present earlier was there to see for himself that Jesus was alive. Permit me to insert right here that it is the preference of Jesus that none should be lost, none should perish, but all should come to repentance. All should come to be saved. I'm suggesting this to you, that Jesus loves you so much that his heart's desires that you spend eternity with him. He didn't go through this for the sins of the whole world just to come up with a story. Jesus did all this so that we would know him as Lord and Savior. And now the choice is up to you. You can choose to receive him into your life or you can choose to reject him. 
But his intent is that you be saved, that he refused to return to heaven without giving Thomas the opportunity to choose Jesus for himself. And then the Bible goes on to tell us that he had delayed his second coming until the whole world has heard his gospel. Why? Because he wants all mankind to live with him in glory. So secondly, let me point this out to you. Thomas stood on the risk of losing his ultimate blessing because he had made the mistake of forsaking fellowship, as the Word of God says, with the saints. And I'll show you that here quickly. So church, there's a blessing in coming to church. Now I know there are some who are quick to point out that you can't get saved simply by coming to church. And I agree with that thinking. Church attendance alone will not save you, but it will strengthen your walk with the Lord. People tell me they go to St. Mattress. I have a hard time believing that you had a Holy Spirit fit at St. Mattress. It just doesn't work that way. I like what Chuck Swindoll once shared a story about losing some weight. And here's what he said. Now to accompany his decision to follow this new lifestyle, he said, I do not want to be around people who are negative and pessimistic. Always telling me that stuff don't work. You might as well give up. It's just too hard. You don't need to diet. Now, I want to be around people who are going to encourage me in what I'm trying to do. I want to talk to people who have lost weight themselves. I want to hear their stories. And, they, and some of them have great stories themselves to share. And have compelling testimonies that they want others to hear. Because when I see what they have done, it further convinces me that I can also do the same thing. I mean, think about it. If someone's working out and they're exercising, if you're going to the gym and you're working out and you're exercising, you want to see proof of it. I tried it once. So you never hear me talk about working out at the gym because for whatever reason, it just didn't show up. I got a one pack, not a six pack. And so I was really working those abs hard, but it just wasn't giving me the definition. I got a little bump right here one time, you know, but I, that was it. I tried real hard, but I just figured, hey, if I can't give a testimony on lifting weights and working out, this is just not worth it to me. And you heard me say last week, Planet Fitness looks good every time I wave as I drive by. See, I was working the muscles. See? But it's free now. I don't have to pay for that membership. Listen, people will sometimes say they don't go to church because of the people. But let me remind you that you go to church with people, not because of people. You go to church with people, not because of people. Those same people did not wake you up this morning or make you uh, a way out of no way for you. Some people want to say that there are liars, cheaters, and hypocrites in church. And my response is, yes, there are. Are, But you see, here's my response back to them. But there are liars on your job. Cheaters in the neighborhood where you live. And hypocrites in your family. But here's the truth of it. I don't see you quitting your job. Hiring a moving van and moving to another section of town. Or disowning those whose same blood runs in your veins. I've decided that I would rather go to church with a few liars, a few cheaters, and a few hypocrites down here. Rather than die and go to hell and live with liars, cheaters, and hypocrites for eternity. I've heard it all. We've all heard it all. And the reality of it is, 
we come to church because we're all coming together because we're sinners saved by grace. When I look at the passage that details the reaction and the responses of Thomas, I'm actually impressed and understand his response. Let's go ahead and you're going to go back to John chapter 20. And we're going to read verses 19 through 30. As I'm going to highlight just the life of Thomas this morning as, as we read this story. John chapter 20 verses 19 through 30. Here Jesus appears to his disciples. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. I love this story. Probably one of my all-time favorite stories of the Bible. Can you imagine? The doors were locked. They were all hiding. And Jesus appears and says, Peace be with you. Why would he start off with peace be with you? Because they all of a sudden saw him and they were afraid. So he was comforting, comforting them. Verse 20. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And here again, now, now let's just look at Thomas's life. Remember, Jesus is in the upper room. The Passover has taken place, the Last Supper. And all of a sudden, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, listen, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And Thomas said unto him, Well, Jesus, how do we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, Oh, you listen, my doubting Thomas. For I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man can come unto the Father but by me and through me. So, see, we're talking about the same Thomas who is always asking these questions. Do you have somebody in your family that always asks questions? And sometimes you just get irritated with them because if you look at them and you tell them, my shirt is yellow, they all of a sudden have to ask you a question. Are you sure it's yellow? Because it looks neon green to me. And then you find yourself getting sucked into that argument. And before long, you storm out of the room and say, Why in the world do I ever have dinner with these people? You all are laughing because you know the reality of that question. But I started thinking about Thomas's life and I thought, Well, this is a guy who's asking questions because all he's truly saying is, I need some evidence. How do we know you are who you say you are? What is it that's going on in your life? What is your story? You can see stories that are placed up here. And if you have a story, last week will be our last week as we finish out. This is my story. But if you have a story, I would like to sooner or later, you know, hold on to these stories, put them in some type of binder or book form or whatever so that people can read them. But your story is a story that gives people the opportunity to, to be able to uh, share what God has done in and through 
your life. That's the God story. And see, we, we have a tendency to sit back and not share our saving grace or our amazing grace story with anybody. Why don't we ever tell anybody about Christ? Because you see, as soon as he went back up in that room, he, the doors were locked, everything was locked up, and as soon as he got in there, what took place? He said, peace be with you, but look closely. Here are my hands, and you see my feet. And they believed right then who Jesus was. So Jesus appears unto, the, unto Thomas. And here we are in verse 24. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And he says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. You need to believe. And I love the identity that's in verse 28 as Thomas all of a sudden acknowledges who Jesus is. And here's what he says. My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Wow. He called him out, my Lord and my God. Picture this. The other disciples come and find Thomas and tell him that Jesus the Messiah has returned from the dead, resurrected, and lives again. What Thomas says on the surface sounds like the height of suspicion and sometimes doubt. Until I see the nail print in his hand and the wound in his side, I will not believe. Actually, Thomas makes an incredible point that is what he's trying to tell all of us. And he was trying to tell even the disciples. Is that truly Jesus that you saw? Did you really see Jesus for yourself? Now, you're not telling me this because somebody told you. You're telling me this because of what you have seen. In other words, Thomas is saying, I am not entitled to have the benefit of the same experience as you. Here's what he was saying. Am I not a disciple? I was there when he fed the hungry, just like you. I was there when he healed the sick, just like you. I was there when he gave sight to the blind, just like you. I was there when he cleansed the lepers, just like you. I was there when he called Lazarus from the grave, just like you. Just like you. If you're going to expect me to have the same excitement and the same enthusiasm that you're showing me, if you expect me to risk life and limb going around preaching this story, if you expect me to travel the world and convince others to follow Jesus, then I want to have the same experiences 
that you have had. I want to see Jesus for myself. How many have been out there and has actually, you've talked to people, they're like, I've never experienced the Lord. I've never experienced Jesus. I don't have a clue. Prove it to me. And all of a sudden, you become speechless. Something starts to take place. And you start feeling like, what is my story? What is my song? How am I going to be able to share the same story? Thomas just asked what so many unbelievers. Now, I know this doesn't make sense to many of you, but Thomas, as they call him, Doubting Thomas, as Thomas was really trying to seek out who Jesus was, he wanted to believe for himself. And do you know, Scripture records that he went around to, to so many places preaching the gospel after he experienced who Christ was. Here's what he said, because while I am preaching and traveling, somebody just might ask me, how do I really know that Jesus is alive? And do not want to have to say, because Peter told me, or because James told me, or because John told me, I want to be able to say, I know that he lives because I have seen him for myself. I don't want to, they said, so gospel. I want my own story. So church, you have to have your own story. When you look up here and read these stories of redemption, read stories of, stories of grace and of forgiveness and of love, then you realize that God is alive and real. And that the Lord will make a way when there feels like there's no way. And make your enemies leave you alone. For me, that's not a they said testimony. I'm telling all of you this morning what I have seen God do myself. And many of us will say and have read that you have seen God do some miraculous things in your life. And somebody here today has also seen God turn their lives around, pick them up out of the gutter, liberate them from drugs, give them a job, give them a house, place a car in their driveway. And when they speak, they're not talking about what somebody told them, they're talking about what they have seen God do to themselves. See, friends, Thomas was really saying, I'm not doubting who Jesus is. I'm just doubting those of you who are telling me the story. Listen, I think you kind of said it like this. I've been around my brothers this whole time. I like to say brothers. I've been my brothers this whole time. I've been hanging out with the boys long enough to know that there are some defects in your character and I am not prepared to commit my life to a proposition based on what you have to say. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because some of us have been, we've been there, we've seen it, we've experienced. Nathaniel, you're damaging, hurtful, and biased. Can anything come good out of you from Nazareth? Looks at the other disciple. Philip, you've been guilty of mistaken identity. Show us the Father. James and John, you are backstabbing, wanted Jesus to, to put you on his right and on his left. Peter, you denied him three times. Matthew, despite being my brother, you have stolen tax money. 
No, if I'm going to preach a gospel of a risen Savior, I do not want to base my sermons on what you say. I would rather base my sermons on what I know for myself. And so he just wanted the experience. He wanted to see it. He wanted to know who this Jesus was. So then the Bible says a week later, Jesus joins Thomas and the other disciples in the upper room. Now consider this. John, the gospel writer, is particular and precise on his description of Jesus' arrival. Note that he says that Jesus enters the room with the doors being closed and the windows being shut. Now I ask you, how does Jesus get in a room where the doors are closed and the windows are shut? Before you get in a room where the doors are closed and the windows are shut, you become a naysayer. Let me remind you that there are some things that a closed door and a shut window cannot keep out. And a closed door and a shut window cannot keep out cold, cannot keep out misery, cannot keep out sickness, depression, cannot even keep out a broken heart or death. If a closed door and a shut window cannot keep those things out, then might I suggest to you that a closed door and a shut window cannot keep Jesus out either. After all, Jesus is the master of the door. Did he not say, I am the door, and no man can come unto the Father but by me? Did he not also say, Verily, verily, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man opens the door, I will abide in him and he with me? Notice in the scripture that Jesus walks directly right into Thomas and says in so many words, Thomas, I am here for you. And since... You needed to see my hands and see my side. Here they are. Take your own look. Get a good glance so that you won't be without faith. But like the other disciples here, you can have your own testimony and your own story. I find that it's the next moment that we notice in Thomas's life that becomes so impressive to me. And here's what Thomas said. Oh, my Lord and my God. Notice Thomas never does what he previously stated he had to do in order to believe. He rejects his own criteria. He never does put his fingerprint of the nail. He never does put his hand in the gaping wound of his side. He takes just one look at Jesus and he says, oh, my Lord and my God. Now, the term my Lord and my God is a twofold term. My Lord means that you have dominion over my life here on this earth. You have dominion over my life here on this earth. Here's what he's saying. I can trust you. I can follow you. I can lower myself to you. I believe in you. I can stand on your side. I can depend on you. I was not willing to do that to the other disciples, but I can do that with you because you are my Lord. Listen, you can trust Jesus. You can lean on his everlasting arms. You can depend upon him to make a way out of no way to you because he is your Lord here on this earth. He is your way maker here on earth. He is your provider here on earth. He is your sustainer here on earth. 
He is your protector here on earth. He is your guide here on earth. He is your insurance here on earth. And next he says, my God, my God, which then refers to eternity, to his supreme power and to his authority. When Thomas says, my God, he's acknowledging that even when life on earth down here is more, he still has a relationship with God. God is not bound by time and space, but eternity is his address. Which means that if he is my Lord here on earth, he will be my God for all eternity. Yes, I'm thankful for all that God does for me here on earth. But friends, all that he does for me here on earth cannot compare what he will do with or for me in eternity. When my body weakens and succumbs to death, he will be with me on the other side. When I can no longer preach and I close my, my eyes, he will be with me on the other side. And when my body returns to the dust, he will be with me on the other side. When they write my name on my gravestone, he will be with me on the other side. When my name becomes but a memory, he will be with me on the other side. When somebody else occupies my office and my pulpit, he will be with me on the other side. When all that is left are the sermons I have preached, he will be with me on the other side. When I give up the ghost... On this side of death, he will be with me on the other side. You see, that's not only because he's my Lord here on this earth. He is my God for all eternity. So Thomas says to Jesus, I thought I needed to put my finger in your hand and my hand in your side. But you see, just one look at your face has convinced me that you are who you say you are. Worthy of my worship. Just one look will put faith in your heart. Just one look of Jesus will make you put down the bottle, make you throw away your needle, make you clean up your life, make you love your enemies, make you cease your lying, make you back up on your backbiting, and make you stop your stealing, make you turn from your wicked ways. Just one look from Jesus will make your life brand new. And this morning, I can't close this message because if I close there, I will leave you and I out. Thomas believed because he had the opportunity to see Jesus. But Jesus anticipated that everybody would not sit in their chair that Thomas sat in. So he established and listened a new blessing for those who could not fit in that upper room that day. A new blessing for those who were not available with Thomas and the other disciples. A new blessing for those who had not been born yet. And in John chapter 20, verse 28, it says, 29, it says, And Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe Without seeing me. I'm just a little kid. I'm a boy. 
I accepted Jesus Christ at nine years of age. I remember being in that baptismal waters at 13 when I finally understood what baptism was about. And, and for many of you that may have read my post this morning and at 15 when I surrendered to preach, I knew right then that God was doing something. You see, if we put our faith and trust in God, it starts the minute we surrender. It starts the minute we believe. And there are many in this room that have not yet believed because you haven't seen. But if faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen, then where is your faith? Why haven't you put your faith and trust in God? Why haven't you shared the story of his amazing grace with other people? Because I'm here to tell you, church, that I love all people that I come across with. No matter, no matter if I'm cleaning, no matter if I'm preaching, no matter if I'm eating, no matter if I'm shopping, no matter where it's at, we have a story to tell. So yesterday we were at Beachwood Mall. My wife and I, we looked at a job up there and then we ran over to Beachwood Mall just to run around in there. And there was this young man who was at a counter. We were looking at a couple things and I said to him, so what's your major? And he started telling me his major is um, political science. And I know Travis and Heather aren't here today, but his name was Travis Lucius. So keep that young man in prayer. And I said, I can always remember that because of Travis Nush. So I like Travis Nushis, Travis Lucius. So Travis Lucius, this is for you. And I remember as we were there, and, and I said, uh, kids, what would I say to him? But I normally say, Dad, did you tell him you were <laughs> on harmony? <laughs> we didn't practice, but anyhow. Um, so I was sitting there, I said, well... You know, in my life, he's like, wow, what do you do? And I said, well, we own a cleaning company, and I'm a pastor as well. And, and I loved it. So he, he sat down, and as he sat down, he looked up at me, and he goes, when did you get saved? I said, can I share it with you? He's like, sure. I said, well, here's my story. I got saved at age nine. The pastor was preaching, and so I told him the story. Saved at 13, surrendered to preach at 15, and here I am today, 48 years of age. Still being able to share the gospel. But can I ask you a question? When did you get saved? So he proceeded to tell me his story of salvation. Well, I come from Canton. I drive all the way up here. I'm now going to um, Bowling Green, I think was the college he was telling me. And, and I'm, I'm living up here in Cleveland. But I need to find my way back to Christ. And I stopped and thought to myself... Well, listen, we have the great opportunity to always find our way back to Christ when we step away. But I have to encourage this man. So after he was all done, packed up my stuff I was buying, he said, I said, can I just leave you with just a thought this morning? He's like, well, what is that, pastor? And I said, I'll leave this with you. One day a favor is worth more than a lifetime of labor. You can labor your whole lifetime and it not put you where one day a favor and place you. So he stood there, the political science guy that was, before I wished him, I'll vote for you, President. And uh, he's like, what was that? I said, one day a favor is worth more than a lifetime of labor. You can labor your whole lifetime 
and then I'll put you where one day of favor can place you. Travis, do you know what that is? That's the grace of God. We can labor our whole lifetime, but if we don't have the grace of God on our life, we'll never receive the blessings that come our way. I love this story, and as I close, I love this story about Thomas. And here's what Jesus was saying even to Thomas. Believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen me. Thomas, just believe. You've been able to see the, the nail prints in my hands and in my feet. Look at the, the, the big hole, the gaping hole in my side. But just think of those that have not seen and yet believe how their faith will be increased. For you see, one day of favor, one day of grace is worth more than a lifetime of labor. We can work hard, but if we don't have the grace of God, then we have nothing. Friends, Jesus says that Thomas was a believer. But here's what Jesus goes on to say. He says this, that you and you and you and you and you and you and you are blessed. Isn't that a comforting thought? He says that we are blessed, and I know that some religious traditions call Thomas a saint, but Jesus never said he was blessed the way you and I are blessed. He said Thomas was a believer, but that you and I are blessed. We were not there in the upper room. We were not there at the foot of the cross. We were not to watch him disappear in the heavens. We were not there to see him eat fish or bread. We were not there to see his hands or to see his side or to look at his feet. But Jesus said that we are blessed because we believe and have not seen. See, when Jesus says to you, you are blessed, no demon can steal it. When Jesus says that you are blessed, no enemy can take it. When Jesus says that you are blessed, no complainer can erase it. When Jesus says that you are blessed, no gossiper can change it. When Jesus says that you are blessed, no liar can alter it. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Now I'm, I'm going to make it personal with you. Next week we'll, we'll hear about the ascension. We'll experience what it was like and then we'll close out our stories. See, there's something I need to tell all of you. See, these stories weren't for me. I didn't ask you to write a story for me. I asked you to write your story for yourself. Because I believe that there's many that are in this sanctuary that have never sat down and really experienced and seen the grace of God in their own life. We don't often stop 
and realize that each and every one of us have a story. So maybe if you've been challenged, maybe even this morning, he said, for some of you, you are blessed. Maybe you believe, but you haven't seen me. But I do know this, that in your story, there comes an amazing story of amazing grace and of faith and of favor on your life because he loved you so much that he died on the cross to give you life. You see, Thomas, understand, Thomas, for I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no man, nobody can go into the Father but by me. Jesus loved us that he gave up his life so each and every one of us have the opportunity to know him. What's your story? Can you sing? Do you share it? People need what you have and that's hope in our Savior. Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we love you and we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I just pray that you'll encourage us. Lord, help us as we sing, as we worship. Sing one of the most sweetest songs that was ever written in the hymn, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. God, if there's somebody here today that needs prayer, that needs freedom, Lord, all they need to do is believe. Put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, you'll free them. You'll heal them. Lord, today, if there's someone that does not know you as Lord and Savior, all they have to do is believe. Get on their knees and cry out to you, realizing that they're a sinner. And come to you. Say, Lord, save me from my sins. Free me. From this earthly bondage. And today, Father, I claim that you are my Lord and my God. Lord, we worship you today. Lord, we come before you today. In your holy name we pray. Amen.